0: The following is a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church, a community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ who love God and love people.
1: I'm just gonna open in a word of prayer and then I'm just gonna share a little bit about what what does what makes Christianity unique and what is important for us to consider today. Heavenly Father, we come to you today thankful. Uh, that we have today to celebrate, thankful that uh, we can come as a community, thankful that we can enjoy uh, friendship and family in a place uh, like Renfrew Baptist Church. Uh, We love you. We celebrate you today. Uh, In your name, amen. Uh, One of the questions that always emerges out of uh, today is we get talking about faith and faith beliefs in general. And where I'd like us to start and what I'd like to share a little bit about is uh, when you ask the questions, the big questions of life, like uh, where do we come from? Who is God? What do I believe? What do we believe? Um, If you ask that question now in today's era, you'll get all sorts of different answers. And that's normal and common. You'll get... um, All sorts of different thoughts and ideas because there's so many different spiritual backgrounds. Um, We come and live in a country where uh, it's pluralistic. There's people with all sorts of different faith beliefs. Uh, And Canada really keeps it a a huge value for Canadians is respecting the beliefs of other people and saying, you know what, you have a right to believe what you want to believe, and we celebrate that as Canadians. and so another word you'll hear a lot is tolerance, right? There's, there's a desire as Canadians for us to uh, extend hospitality and tolerance to other ways of being, other ways of thinking, uh, and that's common, and that's normal. But then when we have the question of who is God, um, it starts to bring up new challenges. Um, and as you, you may know, this is probably no surprise to you, but I follow after Jesus, I love Jesus with my whole heart, I've given my life to him, and it's a joy for me able to be able to serve him, uh, and I am a Christian. And I've had to wrestle through uh, what are some of those exclusive claims uh, about Christianity that are different than other faith systems, and trying to work through, how do I live with that truth in today's society? So those are some of the challenges that I've been faced with, because Jesus is often and is very opposed to a lot of the things that are being suggested in today's world and culture. Um, there's, I've got a couple of quotes that, might, that kind of summarize a lot of what we see in today's day and age. So uh, the first one we have is, is Blair, uh, is a 24-year-old woman living in Manhattan, has said, uh, How could there be just one true faith? It's arrogant to say that your religion is superior and try to convert everyone else to it. Surely all religions are equally good and valid for meeting the needs of their particular followers. Plus, all the major religions basically teach the same thing, right? That's something that maybe some of you have heard before. Um, Are the PowerPoints, nope? Okay, we've got a no on that, big big old X, no problem. Good thing I wrote it down. I almost didn't. I was like, oh, it'll be on the PowerPoint. I don't need to. Okay. Um, Have you heard this one before? Um, uh, Religious exclusivity is not just narrow, it's dangerous. Um, uh, A 20-something British man mentioned this, um, also living in New York City. Uh, Religion has led to untold strife, division, and conflict. Um, It may be the greatest enemy of peace in the world today. If Christians continue to insist that they have the truth and if other religions do this as well, the world will never know peace. It's a pretty strong statement. Christians believe that they have the absolute truth and that everyone else uh, has to believe or else, says Keith, um, a young artist living in Brooklyn. The attitude uh, endangers everyone's freedom. Uh, And so those are... uh, Those are elements that uh, we see and we hear. Those are common concerns or criticisms and critiques. Uh, I've heard those kinds of statements before, and I'm sure some of you have as well. Um, But today, uh, what's really important is for us to recognize that uh, with those claims, and then with the person of Jesus, we find ourselves having a little bit of tension because... uh, Jesus says that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which uh, we must be saved. And part of me is like, really? Like, no other name under heaven? Um, And that's a challenge for us. That's a challenge because uh, we want to understand all of these different moving parts that are in our society. But Jesus points to us uh, a different way. And he calls out to us a, a different kind of way of living. Uh, Christianity is exclusive. Christianity does say there is this way, that it's, it's the true way, it's the right way. Uh, but the challenge is, is that all faiths do that. At the end of the day, all religions say this is our way. Um, it's, people, it's only the people that step back from all of the re- religions and say, no, 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 I actually disagree with all of you and all of your beliefs, and I have my belief, which is, you guys are all sort of right. Um, that, and that in and of itself is actually a very exclusive way of thinking about faith, to be able to think that you could kind of make that claim on all religions. Um, so yeah, Jesus turns and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Except through me. Um, this is yeah, in this very inclusive world of religious pluralism, Jesus makes an exclusive claim that he is the only way. Um, But I would like us to take a look at this Jesus who makes such a claim. Um, What does he claim? What did he do? What does he actually support and believe in and value? And we can't get into all of the details, but we can share a little bit uh, with you today. Um, and so we're going to take a little bit of a look at Jesus's ministry. What is he really all about? And then from there, we're going to take a look at some of like, the miracles and the profound things that he did there. And then we're going to take a look at his sacrifice and his cross. Um, so that's where I'm going to go very briefly here. Um, and so if you have your Bibles with you, or um, if you see any Bibles in front of you, feel free to turn. You don't need to because... Uh, uh, I'm not going to be reading a ton out of here, but I just wanted to kind of highlight this one passage that you find in Mark 2. Uh, In in my Bible, it's on page 1,000, actually, but that's probably not for some of yours. Um, So Mark 2, uh, verse 16 and 17, says these words. Uh, Let me see. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In that one simple statement, Jesus is making a huge claim. He is about the healing. He is about the health and the well-being. He is about the saving of people. He's not interested in going after people that, you know, believe that they have it all figured out. He's actually deeply passionate about the hurting, broken people in this world. And he deeply loves them. He deeply cares for those that are on the outsides, that are on the margins, that are struggling through life. And the religious leaders at the time, they were not interested in hanging out with those kinds of people. Jesus works really hard to make it clear that his kingdom is about everyone. His kingdom, he deeply loves every single person that's here and in this world. And that in that desire, he goes out of his way to reach out and make these statements where he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And Jesus came to heal the sick, came to heal those that were in need. And it's a profound thing for him to be able to go after and to deeply love those um, that are on the outsides. Um, So the religious leaders, they wanted to distance themselves. They wanted to establish all of these rules to create boundaries and to create difference. But Jesus steps right into that and says, no, I desire to embrace, to love To care for. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is the Jesus that he showed himself during his time of ministry that he would go the extra mile for the people that were in need and were hurting. While religion rejected, Jesus embraced. When everyone else said, we're too good for them, they're not good enough for us, they're not clean enough, they're not righteous enough, not holy enough, that's exactly who Jesus came for. Jesus loved those that everyone else despised. He welcomed those people turned away. Jesus didn't come for those who are perfect. And that's a really, really good thing. Because when we're actually honest with ourselves, when I'm honest with myself, I can look put together, but I am not put together. I am in desperate need constantly of this kind of Jesus, a Jesus that comes after broken, hurting, confused people. And a lot of times I find myself in that place. And so I am so thankful for a Jesus, for this Jesus that comes and loves people like you and people like me. And then we have his miracles that just blow the minds of people. They just can't, can't conceive of this, these amazing things that Jesus has done. So not only are his words comforting and supportive and sometimes very difficult, But then he backs it up with evidence of power and might and authority. And these stories that reveal the nature and the power of Jesus are not just something for us to be like, okay, sure, yeah, Jesus healed this person. He raised this person from the dead. He made the blind see and the deaf to hear and just kind of leave it as some kind of like, okay, not a big deal. But these miracles show the power of God Um, that Jesus is able to do so much more than just teach us good insights. He is actually uh, the very hand of God, revealing power for our lives. And without that, without his power, without his authority, uh, we might have great teaching from him, but we wouldn't have what's necessary for our lives to be dramatically transformed, for us to be truly freed from the chains we often find ourselves in. Jesus would do so much more than just uh, teach and inspire. He would prove it with miracle after miracle and demonstration of compassion and care. Um, And the the people at the time, no one disputed that. Um, The religious leaders didn't disagree with what he was doing. They just didn't like it. Um, And so they found every avenue and every opportunity to critique it and try and tear it down. And eventually, it got to the point where they knew that they needed to destroy him. They knew they needed to get rid of Jesus. And that was such a critical moment in Jesus' ministry, is that in his faithful obedience, serving God and serving humanity, that humanity itself chose to nail him to a cross, the person I am today, um, the person that I am able to uh, be right now is a new creation because of not just the life that Jesus lived and that, what he taught, not just because of the power and the demonstrations of great wonder and strength that he had, but also because he who was without sin, he was a perfect person without sin, who knew no sin, chose to take on sin and death on the cross, so that I might live and be a new creation. And that's a powerful thing. On the cross, he became sin for us, and he suffered horribly. While the creation was mocking the creator, as they spit on him and hurled insults at him and beat him beyond recognition, on the cross, Jesus looked up to heaven and cried out, Father, please forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. What kind of grace is that? What kind of goodness is that? The love that he showed, not just in his life, but then also in his death, that he was willing to go to the very furthest corner, to to death, in order to rescue and save us. And then Jesus, at that last time that we, and it was on Good Friday that we remembered this, Jesus cries out with this victorious cry, It is finished. All of the work and all of the efforts he put on the cross and he commits his spirit and he breathes his last breath. And as he gave up his life, he actually was able to give us our life. The moment he did this, the earth went dark, the ground trembled. The Roman centurion, who was not a follower of Jesus, but saw his love with his heart, um, saw his mercy, He saw who he really was. He looked up and said, I didn't believe before, but I believe now. Surely this man is no ordinary man. Surely this man was the Son of God. And in that moment, Jesus paid the ultimate price out of deep love for us. His life, his power, his miracles, and his death, all revealing a profoundly unique message. There's no other faith system, no other tradition that, that has this kind of reality, that, that demonstrates this kind of radical love. Yes, a lot of traditions talk about love, but a love like this, and to be honest, if left in the grave, if, G, if Jesus, if it ended at the grave, we wouldn't have a lot to celebrate. Um, but we weren't left with the cross, We were given
0: so, so much more. It is awesome. Easter is one of, uh, for us as Christ followers, one of the best times. Just as Jesus predicted, I will give my life and three days later I'll rise from the dead. Three days later, the, the women went to the tomb where he was buried. The stone was rolled away. He was not there. Peter, who had just denied Jesus, Peter, who had individuals look at him and say, do you know him? And Peter responded, no. Weren't you with Jesus? Weren't you one of the disciples? And Peter responded, no. Weren't you hanging out with him? Peter responded, it wasn't me. Peter was completely transformed because the tomb was empty. And he preached pastorally in a way that was amazing on The resurrection in Acts chapter 3, verse 15. Peter said this to the religious leaders. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. He has risen from the dead. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Then he said this, and this is the key. We are all witnesses of this. We saw him. That's why men were willing to give their lives earlier because they saw the power of the resurrection. The resurrection, it hinges on all things. The Roman soldiers would have loved nothing more than to produce a dead body. Some people say that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. Yeah, that's right. These unarmed men overpowered the trained, armed Roman soldiers. You would have still had the testimony of the Roman guards who have sworn that's what would have happened. Do you really expect that these 11 average, uneducated men devised the greatest scheme in history? No, we're witnesses of this. Ten of the 11 remaining disciples, Judas had took his life. There were 11 left. Ten of them died the death of a martyr. Why? Why were they willing to die? Who would die for a lie? They died because they saw it. The only one who remained living was John, and he was exiled to an island and died in in his old age all alone. Maybe my favorite disciple is, is Thomas. Thomas, because Thomas is a lot like me. Thomas was the doubter. You want to believe, but you're not sure. You need a little bit more. Thomas needed A little bit more, he said, I want to see. Can I see? I want to see. I want to touch. Jesus said, see, here you can touch. He needed more. Some of you this morning are in the same place. You need something more. Do you know what Thomas the doubter ended up doing? Thomas took the gospel to India. He became the first evangelist to India. That's how much doubting Thomas believed when they said, Thomas, deny your faith and we'll let you live, but if you stand by Jesus, we're going to kill you. Do you know what Thomas said? I'll never deny the faith of the one who rose again for me. I will stand by him for the rest of my life. You know what they did to Thomas? They drove a stake right through his body. Why? Because he was eyewitness to the tomb that was empty because Christ was risen from the dead. The early church was born. 3,000 people saved. 2,000 years later, in 2018, there are millions of people and hundreds of thousands of churches that place their faith in the empty tomb. He's not there. He is risen from the dead. Consider Jesus. Consider his ministry. Consider the resurrection The last thing that I want you to consider this morning is just the eternal message of Jesus. How are we made right with God? Romans 3.22 says that we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Notice what it doesn't say. It does not say we're made right with God by being good enough. It doesn't say by being not bad. It doesn't say by not saying bad words on the golf course whenever we finally get to golf. We're not made right with Jesus by not yelling at our kids as we went to church this morning. We're getting in a fight with our wife as we drove. Maybe this morning went like this. Please be quiet. We're going to worship Jesus. Smile. Come here. Look like you love it. Glory to God. Just wait till we get back in the car to continue the fight. Why does that always happen on Sundays? We're made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul said. We're made right by, with God by placing our faith in Jesus. It's the only way. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. Don't miss this this morning. This is true for everyone who believes. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how bad you've been, it doesn't matter how good you've been, it doesn't matter how many people that you've hurt, it doesn't matter how many times that you've done the wrong thing, you're not made right by God with God by being good enough. You're made right with God because Jesus was perfect. He took the penalty and he paid the price for your sins. It's the difference between a relationship and religion. Don't miss it. Jesus didn't come to start a religion, Jesus came to offer us eternal life. Jesus didn't come to to start a religion, He came to show us the love of God. Religion is all about how you and I perform, relationship is how Jesus performed. Religion says that if you work hard enough, maybe God will love you. Relationship says, because God loves me, I want to obey him. Religion is, is what you do. Relationship tells you Jesus already did it all for you. Consider the eternal message of Easter. That you're not made right but with God by your own good works, but by the grace and love of Jesus. If there is a God who claims to be the Son of God and says He is the only way to the Father, He predicts His death, He predicts His resurrection, He dies, He rises again, He is going with that God. I'm going to be with that God. I'm going to be with the guy because that guy came for someone like me, a sinner, who is lost and troubled. That guy showed me what God is truly like, the heart of God who sends his son, not for the healthy, but for the sick, not for the righteous, but for people like me who mess up. Because of what God did for me, my only reasonable response is, Jesus, take my whole life. Some of you, that's where you are today. You've got what you've needed. You're considering Jesus. You're looking at it. You're saying, because of who you are, because of what you did, my only response to you is to say yes. Take my life. Some of you are good church people. This isn't your first Easter. You know what Lisa was asking you to say. Jesus has been in your head, but he's never moved to your heart. It's been more of a religious thing, not a relational thing. Guess what, if that's you today, I'm gonna ask you to let God move 18 inches from your head down into your heart, and I promise you'll never be the same. You'll be like, the roof hasn't fallen down, I'm doing okay, I think we're gonna make it. You're mysteriously and strangely being drawn toward God. What is that? What is that drawing to God? That's the loving kindness of God. That's the Holy Spirit doing what he does. God is reaching out to you, and he wants you to say yes to his love. A new person in Christ, the old is gone. Some of you have got the weight of your past upon you. You feel the guilt when you confess your sin to God. He forgives your sin. He cleanses you. You become completely brand new. Not because you're good enough, but because of the cross. Consider who he is. Consider what he did when he gave his life for you. Some of you will say, that's it. That's not what we need. That's what we need. My response is, I give my life to him. Yes, I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. Today, by faith, I surrender my life to him. That's my prayer. That's the cross. Let's pray. God, I pray that our attempt at words would truly allow my friends to see what Easter is all about. It is not simply the things that we do here on this earth that equate that we're good enough for you. It's because of the cross. It's because of the empty tomb. It's because of the promises that you laid out in Scripture that you are not dead, but you are alive. I'm reminded, God, of John chapter 10, where you said, I have come that they may have life to the full. Today, may some of my friends capture that life to the full because of their deep relationship with you. We love you. We adore you. thank you for the gift of the cross, the gift of the empty tomb. We love you, in your name, amen. Please just stay standing. I'd like
1: to send us out uh, with a passage from the book uh, of Romans. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all,
0: This has been a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church A community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ Who love God and love people